Let me pray again here briefly as the dust settles. Father, thanks that you are so fully adequate for all of the things that we confront and face in life. And that, Lord, really, the needs that confront us that sometimes uh, seem to overwhelm and drown us, it's those very needs that reveal your goodness and your provision to us. And as we look in your word this morning, would you show us again, maybe more fully or more deeply, would you show us how you mean to use the needs in our lives to draw us closer to you? In Jesus' name, amen. The second book of the Bible, Exodus, is the story about an exodus. That is, the nation of Israel was exodusing, leaving uh, Egypt. You remember they'd been there 400 years. They'd been slaves. And so under Moses, God was freeing them. And he was going to lead them through the wilderness, through the desert, there between Egypt and Israel, who's going to lead them into the land of promise. And God performs all the mighty miracles. Pharaoh says, go. Israel leaves. And they have a couple bumps in the road early on, but... God provides for those, and life goes on. But pretty shortly in their travel into the wilderness, they face a problem. Remember, there's a couple million or so. Estimates vary widely on this. million and a half to three million is sort of the ballpark number on how many Jewish exiles we think might have been leaving Egypt. It's a lot of people. And not long after they leave, they find themselves in the middle of the desert, in the wilderness, and there's no food. And this is a problem. Middle of the wilderness, in the desert, and there's no food. So what are they going to do? You know, and what's Moses going to do? And If that were you or me, find ourselves out middle of nowhere, got to have something to eat, can't find anything, what would we do? What would that look like for us? You know, we're sitting here this morning, maybe we've had some coffee and donuts, lunch is just around the corner, and the thought of being really, really hungry in a way that impacts us, probably a remote thought, you know, not a big deal. But you know, if you get really, really hungry, it is a driving impulse in your life. If you're really hungry, you know, all you can think about is food. You know, our needs drive us, they compel us. Uh, when I was uh, young boy growing up in my parents' house, you know, 11 kids, 13 of us around a big long table, my dad up at the head, and my mom, not infrequently, made something that I didn't really like. Brussels sprouts was sort of my worst. Canned peas were a close second. So mom had made supper for us. There's something on the plate I do not like, and I'm not hiding my displeasure. And my dad, who's, who was my height and my size, he was a big guy, my dad at the head of the table would sort of, you know, glare, glower, you know, like dads can do. He would glare at me, and he would say, I hope someday you're so hungry that you'll eat whatever's set in front of you with no complaints and be glad for it. Now, you've got to understand my dad's perspective. Uh, my dad was a POW for a year and a half in Germany. And he went in my size, and he came out 130 pounds. So he knew something about hunger. 
So when he was saying that, that's the voice of experience saying, you know, son, if you're really hungry, anything you're given, it'll be good. It'll be enough. You won't complain about anything if you're really hungry. See, our needs drive us. And hunger is a big, big need. Hunger is a compelling reason. So, if you're Moses and a couple million grumbling, complaining, unhappy, hungry Israelites in the wilderness, what are you going to do? And what will Yahweh, the one who delivered them out of Egypt, what's he going to do? So hold that thought. As we go back into our study this morning in the Lord's model prayer from Matthew 6, will be in the ESV is what I'll read from Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Hopefully you have a study sheet in front of you. I'll read the prayer. Remember, this is the model prayer, sometimes called the Our Father or the Disciples' Prayer. I'll read this and then we'll look at verse 11 specifically this morning. So Jesus tells his disciples and speaks to us today. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we've already looked at verses 9 and 10. And if you remember from those, we said, God is, our Father is holy. And he's high and exalted and lifted up. And when we come to him, we come to him with that sense. And our first petition is that God's holiness would be made more fully known. We're praying about first about God and His things. And Jesus said we came in plurality. You remember we said that? It was our Father, not my Father. It was our Father. We came praying with other Christians or we came praying for others. And when we made petitions, it was first and foremost, it was about God and His things. His holiness, His kingdom brought in by His Son Jesus, and His will brought about on earth the same way it would be done in heaven. So that's what we've already covered. So we've put God and his things first. And this morning we move to the fourth of the six petitions. This is the first one that has to do with our personal needs. The first point to be made here this morning, actually, before we actually look at the text itself, is simply the the assumption Jesus makes when he brings in personal need into this model for prayer. And notice that it really assumes that we come to God with a humble dependency for the things we need. That we're telling ourselves, by the very fact that we go to God in prayer for our needs, it assumes that we have the humility to recognize that we're not adequate in and of ourselves, even for the most basic necessities of life. Otherwise, we wouldn't go and ask, would we? If we're adequate, we don't ask. We say, thank you, I'll take care of that. Not a problem, Lord. But this, even related to the basic necessities of life, the model prayer assumes we have the appropriate humility and wisdom, if you will, that we're actually bringing those needs to God. You know, part of our trouble is, in our sinful disposition, we're independent. And in our independence, we tend or we're tempted to think that we can take care of life on our own. You know, that if we get in a pinch, maybe then I'll go to God and I'll say, hey, 
I'm in a pinch here, Lord. Maybe could you send down a little bit of help? And once that helps come, then I say, okay, Lord, I'm good to go again. And I'll get back to you later if anything comes up. So be ready. That's good. But I'm good to go from here. You know, I confess for myself a lot of times, I want the Lord just to give me a blank check. And I'll take care of everything. And I'll report back how we're doing. You know, and it just does not work that way. So Jesus' model for prayer, it assumes that we have the kind of humility that recognizes we are inadequate on our own to meet the vicissitudes of life even at the most fundamental, basic level, things like daily needs, the food that we put in our mouth. So this prayer model assumes humility and a, an outlook on life that recognizes I've got to go to God probably every day just related to the needs that are going to confront me in that day. And this assumption, and this model about going to God and asking because we're inadequate, this is the norm in the Scripture. So if you go a little further down in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, you'll see Jesus brings this whole thing up again, and he sort of amplifies it there. So if you get to Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, Jesus there says, Ask, and it will be given to you. And most of you have probably heard in the Greek this means keep asking. It's a constant verb. Keep asking. So the picture there would be we're always going to God. Our life is characterized that we're always going to God to ask Him for the things we need. It's not one time and we're done. It's this constant attitude of I'm always going to God to ask. I'm asking and it will be given to you, He says, If you keep seeking, you'll find God will show you the things you need. If you keep knocking, God will open the door of opportunity or whatever it is you need. It will happen. God will respond to your appeal in prayer. Jesus says there, he who asks, receives. See, we're in this formula in which God says, you guys are the needy ones. I'm the provider. You come to me and ask for your needs, and I provide for them. That's the model. That's the formula. That's the way it's supposed to work. Humble dependency on our part, recognizing God is the one able to meet what's going on in our life. He continues there and says, if a man has a son and he asks him for bread, same word used in our text this morning, uh, will will that son be given a stone instead? You know, not only does your dad know what you need, that's actually what he's going to give you. He's not going to trick you. You know, you ask for a good thing and God somehow gives you some second-rate other thing. No, God knows what you need. And He'll give it to you when we ask. So, Jesus says, ask God for bread. Ask Him for the good things. He'll answer. He will respond. That's the formula. You know, if you go into James, James says exactly the same thing. A little different context. James says, when you find yourself at a place in life where you don't have the wisdom you need, to make a decision or to go on or to take care of some situation or circumstance. If any man lacks wisdom, James says, let let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally or freely. God won't hold it against you that you come to him and say, Lord, here I'm again, and I need to know what to do here. James says, no, he'll give to you generously. There won't be any reproof or rebuke in that because we're doing exactly what God tells us to. We're going to face times in life where we don't know what to do. We don't know how to proceed. And those needs should drive us to God to say, Lord, what's your solution here? What do I do? 
How do I proceed? I don't have the wisdom to move forward. What do you want me to do? Same thing. Ask for wisdom. James says, God will give it. Later on in James 4, he says, you don't have what you need because you don't ask. I mean, how often, I'm sure this is true for everyone in here, we're going along, we're struggling at some problem, and it finally occurs to you, you know, I haven't even prayed about this. I haven't even talked to God about it. I'm struggling along, I'm working hard, I'm going nowhere, and it finally strikes, wow, I've done everything else. Maybe I should pray now. That should be the first thing we do. So it's the same thing here. James says, you don't have what you need because you simply haven't asked your father for it. You ask for your needs, your father meets them. That's the formula. So ask, whether it's wisdom, bread, or any other good thing. The last verse along this line, 2 Corinthians 9, in verse 10. 2 Corinthians, this uh, context is about giving generously because Paul's collecting from the Corinthians for saints elsewhere in Jerusalem are having a hard time. But in this context, Paul says, He, or God, supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. God is the one who provides. If I'm a farmer and I need seed to plant for a crop, Paul's saying God's the one who gives you the seed. Or if I need bread to eat, Paul says God's the one that gives bread. So Jesus starts with an assumption that we have the humility to recognize we're inadequate for the needs that face us in life, even the most basic of necessities. And that we have a humble dependency that takes us to God for whatever it is we need. And that could be for bread, but it could be wisdom. It could be other good things. The context varies in these passages, but it assumes we humbly depend on God, and that's why we ask Him in prayer. Notice, too, that the plural pronouns continue here. When we go to God to ask for things, because you remember the first three petitions, it's about God and God's things. So now it goes personal, and now we're going to talk about things that concern us on earth right now, but the plural pronouns remain. Give us this day our daily bread. This prayer for needs to be met is still in the plural. So you can imagine, um, you know, if I'm using this model, and so there's some things I really want God to do for me, but I'm following the model. So I take my time, Lord, you're my father, you're our father, you're high, you're holy in heaven, you're so great, you're so good. Lord, I'm really waiting for your son to come. and That's great. It'll be great. And, and you know, I, Lord, might your will be done. You know, I get through all God's things first. And then, you know, maybe like a kid on Christmas, I've waited all Christmas season. My presents are under my Christmas tree. The green light goes on. I dive in. I've got my presents. You know, Jesus says, well, no. When we get through this model of prayer to where we're asking for things, it's actually still in the plural. Give us our us and our. So that means, just like we started, we're praying with other Christians, or we're praying for other Christians in plurality when we take our petitions to God. We're bringing others with us. So when we get in this model to where we're finally asking God for the things that concern us on this earth right now, Jesus said, it's still not all about me. It's about us, and it's about our. Uh, John 17 is called Jesus' high priestly prayer. It goes through the whole chapter. And it's a great prayer. But, you know, when you consider that this was Jesus' 
last night with his disciples. They've had the Passover meal together. Jesus knows everything that's coming. We've already talked about this a little bit. But he knows the gruesome day that's awaiting him. So you can imagine, if you're Jesus, you've got a lot on your mind. And you're confronting the pain of the coming day, the rejection of your own father. You can imagine there's a lot on your plate. But you know, Jesus, even there in John 17, Jesus models this prayer. Which is to say, he puts God's honor and glory first. And then when he makes petition, it's not for himself. It's for his disciples. Over and over and over again. So in John 17, 2, when Jesus starts praying, he says, Father, the hour's come, the time of my crucifixion, it's here. Glorify your Son, so that your Son may glorify you. First, it's about God's honor and God's glory. Father, glorify me. This is in the crucifixion. So that I can give glory to you. That sounds a lot like, Lord, hallowed be your name. Holiness be ascribed to you, Lord. May you be glorified. Once he's done that first to his father, then he starts praying petitions, but they're not for himself. They're for the disciples. So if you look through John 17 there, verses 8 and 9 Jesus says, they, his disciples, the men there with him that night, they believed you sent me, I'm praying for them. I'm praying for these guys around me. Verse 11, uh, Lord, I won't be in the world, but they are in the world. Keep them in your name. God, preserve them and protect them and be with them. Verse 13, these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. Verse 15, uh, Lord, keep them from the evil one. Verse 17, sanctify, make holy them in your word or the truth. Your word is true. And the one that really blows me away is verse 20 and 21. All that faces him, he's prayed for his disciples, the men sitting around the table there with him. But at verse 20 and 21, he says, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me. Through their word. Guys, that would be down to us today. You know, everyone who's trusted Christ, it's come through the words of his followers, the disciples. So Jesus is, when it comes to the needs present in that moment, they're not about himself. He prays for his disciples, and mind-blowingly to me, past that, he prays for you and I, everyone through the ages, who would believe in Christ through their word. You know, if I'm thinking about the horror and the agony that confronts me, I'd be, man, Lord, help me. Now, Jesus does get to that later, doesn't he? You remember when he goes out to the garden later? Then he's pouring his heart out to God. He's, he's sweating drops of blood, it says. He's getting personal with his father there, isn't he? Lord, you know, if you can take this, that's what I'd like. You know, but I'll, I want your will, not mine. He gets there, but that's not where he starts. He starts praying for the needs of others. Uh, Gail Sayers was a great, phenomenal running back at the University of Kansas and went on to run with the Chicago Bears. And he was not only just the premier running back in his day, but he was also just a guy with outstanding character. And if you get a chance to read his book, his biography, which is probably three decades old at least, was called I Am Third. Title of the book is I Am Third. And it's because Gail took to heart the lesson he grew up with from his mom. 
And his mom said, Gail, this is the deal in life. As you go through life, this is the deal. God is first. Others are second. And you are third. That's what he based his life on. I am third. He got it. God's first, Gail. The needs of others are second. And you're third. And this isn't some sort of groveling, inappropriate lack of self-respect. This was putting God and his things first and putting the needs of others ahead of his own. This is Christ-like humility and life. I love it. It's a great story, great book. Great example. I am third. That's exactly what you see here in the model prayer. We've put God and his things first. And when we come to petition for the needs that we're aware of on earth, they're first for the people we know. It's not about diving headlong into the Christmas gifts for the things that concern us only. So we're praying, we're making petition. It's not that we don't ask God for the things that concern us, but we're bringing the petitions and the needs of others with us, ideally putting those ahead of our own. So we would pray, Lord, bless our family. Or Lord, bless my friends with the things they need. Or, or Father, would you bless our church? You see, it's still that plural thoughtfulness about the needs of others. So give us ours, still plural, when we start to pray for petitions. I'm also struck, you know, in this model how simple it is, how fundamentally simple it is. So when we think about praying, we might think of a ton of things, but Jesus keeps it right front and center, really, really simple. So when he says we're praying for petitions, he says uh, today's, pray this day's bread. Give us this day our daily bread. The, the Greek term there for daily is only used twice, and it's in this context both times, and it's epiousios, and it means literally on coming. So God give us bread for the oncoming day. So if I prayed this model in the morning, it would be for today's needs. And if I prayed this prayer at night, it would be for tomorrow's needs. But it would always be, if you will, sort of within the next 24-hour period. I'm just praying for the things that are immediately ahead of me, the oncoming day's needs, whatever those are. I'm struck by how simple Jesus keeps this. You know, to the crowd he spoke with just related to food... Uh, there's no refrigeration, there's no freezers, there's no grocery stores laden with canned goods, there's no dry something packed, you know, there's no food packs that last indefinitely. You know, in their day, life was really daily, and food was daily. It, it was subsistence farming for most of them, wasn't it? So in their setting, they couldn't usually store food up for long periods of time. You could store grain, but that's not the way most people live. So in their day, they really saw life as day to day. So Jesus' prayer, I think, tended to make more sense for them than it tends to for us. Because, you know, we think, gosh, today I've got enough groceries in my house for a month. I don't need to pray to God for my needs for a month at least. You know, that just wasn't the case in their day. Food, getting food, that was a daily provision. You know, if you go to Europe or other parts of the world today, you'd go to the market every day. You'd buy your bread or you'd get your fruits and vegetables. That's the way it was then. So for them, the needs really were a daily thought. 
What will we eat today? What's available today? So Jesus, when he says, we're now praying, we're asking God for the petitions about the things that affect us and others in life, he says, pray about the things that affect you in the oncoming day. In this model, we're not looking at retirement plans. We're not praying for our IRAs and next month or next week or next year's desires or needs as we see them. In Jesus' model, it's just, what's in front of us today? What do we need to deal with today? You know, and later again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sort of touches on this, Matthew 6, 34, where he says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't be thinking. Don't be worried about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for each day is its own trouble. It's just, guys, keep it simple. You know, what's in front of you right now? What are your needs right now? Tomorrow will take care of tomorrow's needs. But for right now, what is it that you need? You can imagine if you were a child and you come to your father and you say, Dad, I need something to eat today. Your dad, take care of it. Here, here it is, Junior. But you know, if you come to your dad and you say, Dad, I want groceries for the next month. Your dad would probably say, no, you know, we'll, we'll eat lunch now. We'll take care of those other things later when it's time. This doesn't mean that we don't give thought to the future. You know, in other, other texts and scriptures, you think of places like Proverbs talks a lot about the wisdom of storing up like the ants, making provision for things that we know are going to come. Or 2 Thessalonians talks about we ought to be about the business of working and providing for ourselves. This isn't disregarding those passages. But the thought is, when we're bringing the needs to God primarily, our own or others, we're really praying about, Lord, what's right in front of us? What is the need of the moment? We're keeping it very, very simple here. Not only is it simple in time, but it's simple as far as what the prayer is for. So this model says, give us today our daily bread. Give us bread. You know, bread represents the necessities of life, the staff of life, if you will. Bread is the most common thing you could eat in their day, in their place and time. You know, if life was good, you'd eat wheat bread. If life wasn't as good, you'd eat barley bread, a coarser, drier bread. But bread represented basically what everyone ate. It was the stuff of life, the basic necessity. Give us today our daily bread. Not luxuries, just necessities. That's what it represents. It's said that the pyramids in Egypt were built on beer and bread. And you think back to the time, you know, the pyramids of Egypt are still a marvel. We don't know how they moved the blocks. We're not sure. And in fact, though, they're all broken up and crumbly today. You know, when they were made, they were sheathed in gleaming white stone. They shone like diamonds when they were new. All that stone was taken and was used for other buildings over the millennia after they were built. But the pyramids were one of the most amazing pieces of architecture and engineering on the earth, still are today. And it said that the pyramids were built on beer and bread. Now remember, in Egypt, down in the Delta area, they could grow grain. And grain is what you use to make beer and bread. Now understand... They drank beer because beer was safer than water. You know, most of people through history have drunk wine and beer because water usually in most parts of the world was not safe to drink. 
If you treat it with alcohol, you make an alcoholic beverage, you drink that because it's safe. This was just normal. This wasn't going to the pub on Friday evening. This is what they did. This is how they lived. And bread. But just think about this. The pyramids, for all their size and all their grandeur, were built on beer and bread. Nothing extravagant. Just the very basics of life were adequate to sustain the laborers who built the pyramids. It wasn't steak and potatoes with everything on it. It was the necessities. It was the basics. The basics built the pyramids. You know, if we find ourselves in times of life where we've got plenty, and frankly, all of us in this room do, by any stretch of the imagination. Historically, compared to the rest of the world, we're all in this room. We're wealthy. Materially, we are. If we find ourselves in times, relatively or otherwise, of wealth, of abundance, then we enjoy those blessings God's given us, we give Him thanks for them, and then we should practice open-handed generosity to those around us. And you know, if we find ourselves, Paul knew both of these, didn't he? He says that in Philippians. Gone through those seasons of life, had a lot. I knew how to do that. And I've gone through seasons of life where I just had a little. And I knew how to do that too. And when we find ourselves in the seasons of life in which it's just the necessities, what do we do? Well, we enjoy the necessities. We give God thanks for them. And we practice open-handed generosity. That's what we do. In much or in little. It's the same. It's the same either way. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6, 8, If we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Later in Hebrews, I believe it's 13, uh, quoting Jesus, you've got me, Jesus says, you've got enough. Guys, we've got enough today to be content. We've got food, we've got clothing. We've got all that we need. We've got the basics of life covered. Does this mean we shouldn't pray for the vacation? You know, I love to go to Colorado in the summer. When it's hot like this, I'm thrilled if I can get up into the mountains. It's not happening. didn't happen last year. It's not happening this year, you know? not what I'm asking for. Lord, I'm ready for Colorado, but I'm not getting it. But uh, ask for the vacation, sure. You know, house plans, yeah, better jobs, absolutely. This model doesn't mean we don't talk to God about all the stuff that's on our mind. He's our Father. He wants to hear about the things we're thinking about, hoping for, absolutely. It's just that in the model we're focusing on the basics. And the basics here are, gosh, you know what? If you've got food and cover, if you've got some food to eat, if you've got beer and bread, it's enough. It's enough. Be content with the basics. Now, this model tells us really, really, really to pray for the needs we know are present with those around us and with ourselves. It really does. I think a lot of us have a frustration related to prayer because we pray about a lot of things and they don't happen. You know what I mean? God doesn't give them to us. And we can develop a certain kind of frustration or confusion which is to say, I'm not going to bother praying about it because God doesn't answer me anyway. You know, I've prayed about ABC and nothing happened. We're invited to come and ask God. And oftentimes, probably for all of us, more often than not, God does not answer our prayers for the things we've asked for. 
But this would be the deal. If God doesn't answer that prayer by giving us the thing we've asked for, then I must conclude it's not a need. Does that make sense? If I've prayed and I've asked God for something and he doesn't give it to me or he doesn't give it to someone else that I'm praying for, then I have to conclude as my all-knowing, all-loving God and Father sees life, this is not a need. Because if it were, he would provide for it. He would answer the prayer in the affirmative and he would give it. I just want to say, be careful about developing sort of a hardness that I've prayed for so many things and God hasn't answered them. And so I quit praying. We've got to hold those things lightly enough that if God doesn't answer in the affirmative, if he doesn't give us the thing we asked for, that it doesn't harden us to think that God doesn't care or it doesn't matter what I pray for, God never gives it to me. God's already giving us tons of things, guys. He's meeting our needs. He's given us every good thing. And remember in Romans 8, Paul says, if God the Father was willing to give you Christ, we're sinners, we're deficient, we're morally a stench in God's nostrils in our sin, and yet he sends his holy one and only Son, the Son whom his heart delights, and he gives Jesus for us, Paul says logically, if he did that, he won't withhold any good thing from you. So it's never that God's less than loving, that he's less than a great father to us, If he doesn't give us something, if he doesn't give the people we've prayed for something, it's because, it has to be because, in God's mind, he doesn't see those as needs. So we need to be careful about developing a hardness of heart or mind or a frustration that says, God hasn't answered in the past. I'm not praying about this now. We hold those things lightly and we submit them to God. Now, Jesus' prayer on this asking level I think in this, to this crowd, he's really saying, ask God for the necessities of life. You know, those, those basic things you need and that your friends need and your family need. Ask for those basic things. But I don't want to leave this passage without going to this spiritual element. And even though I don't think it's directly in the context here, I would hate to, to teach through this and not cover this base as well. And it's that there really is a spiritual aspect to this prayer about asking God for bread as well. And I want to point out two other places in the scripture where Jesus talks about bread and need. And the first one is this. It's that God's word is bread for our soul. So that when we are praying to God for daily need, one of the things we actually should think about is, Lord, not only does my body have needs, but my soul has needs. And I need the truth, the life-sustaining truth of your Word. I need your word. Lord, speak to me today from the pages of the Bible. I need that. In Matthew 4, Jesus had been baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. And after that, the text says the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness, into the desert. And he fasted for 40 days. And you can imagine, he's hungry. Does this sound familiar? Alone in the desert, hungry with nothing to eat. I wonder what God will do for him. And after this 40 days, it says the tempter or Satan comes up. Satan knows Jesus is tired and hungry. And he says, you know, I used to think you were the Messiah, but I'm not so sure anymore. Uh, If you're the son of God, Jesus, why don't you 
turn that stone there into bread. Because then you'd make sure you're the Messiah and you'd show me you're the Messiah. And by the way, you're hungry, so why don't you do that? And so Jesus responds and he says, quoting Deuteronomy 8, man doesn't live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So picture this for just a second. Hadn't eaten in 40 days. He's hungry. He has a right to be hungry. He has a right to eat, right? And yet when he's tempted by Satan to take matters into his own hand and to provide for himself bread, he says, no, you know what's more important than food for my stomach right now? It's obeying my father. And my father's words to my soul are more important than bread for my body. God's word for my soul takes precedence over God's bread for my body. You know, if you look around our nation, we have no problem with food supply, do we? Shelves are stocked full. We've got food all over the place. Statistically, our health is declining as our weight is increasing, right? We eat well. All of us eat well. There's no lack. I mean, the breadbasket of the country, you know, Kansas... You buy some of the premium flowers around the country. You know, many of them are grown right here in Kansas. We have no lack of food. We're great about feeding our mouths and enjoying all the good food we can. You know, and our, our uh, physique show it, you know. We've got much more available than our, our needs. But how do we do at feeding our souls? You remember in the Old Testament, and I don't remember the passage now off the top, uh, there's a famine in the land. It's not a famine of bread. It's a famine of the Word of God. If we're being careful to feed our bodies, Jesus says here in Matthew 4, God's Word for our soul is actually more important than bread for our bodies. So God's Word is food. It's bread for our soul. So how are we doing it sitting down to the table that God has set for us in the scriptures. Are we reading our Bibles? By the way, are we reading them expectantly that God's going to speak to us through the truth of his word? You know, for a lot of us, our Bibles collect dust on the shelf, don't they? They're laying there, you know, ready to be opened. Man, it'll be good when I get there, won't it? You know, eventually. But do we recognize what Jesus did, which is God's word for our soul is more important than bread? for our stomachs. That's actually the priority. Are we meditating in the scriptures? Is God's word in us transforming us? Is it energizing us? You know, sometimes we don't lack or we lack wisdom because we simply haven't been in the book. Because we haven't taken in the truth of God's word. So we need to understand that food's important and God means to meet our physical needs on the earth. But Jesus says food for the soul in the form of God's word, the truth from the pages of the scripture is more important than bread for our stomachs. Bread for our souls is more important than bread for our stomachs. Now I want to wind down with this story from John 6. This is the other way in which Jesus talks about bread and life. And if you remember the story in John 6, uh, Jesus had been on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And he'd fed a bunch of people stuck out in the middle of nowhere, hadn't he? 
no food. Disciples say, Lord, there's nothing to get, you know. What are we going to do? And wow, Jesus miraculously feeds them bread and fish. 5,000 at least. They're impressed. And Jesus sends the disciples in their boat across the sea back to their home port of Capernaum. He sticks around there with the crowds and prays. And then that night, he takes a stroll, not around the sea, but over the sea. Hooks up with the boys in the boat on the sea, and they land together there at Capernaum. Now, the crowd was impressed. I mean, this guy, we're in the middle of nowhere. And somehow, there was that little bit of food in front, and somehow everybody got fed. That was impressive. So what do they do? They follow him around the sea. They catch up with him in Capernaum. They're ready for another happy meal. He did it once. I wonder if he'll do it again. And so they come and they talk to Jesus and they talk to him about food. And Jesus responds to them and he says, Hey guys, what you really need is me. You need to believe in me. And so they're going to push this thing a little bit. And this is what they say. Uh, What do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? You know, if you'd give us another miracle, another sign, we might believe in you. So, you know, what what are you prepared to do for us, Jesus? And then they suggest, you know, just thinking about this, it comes to mind that our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. It's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Wow, you know, Lord, it just happens to occur to me. You know, I've walked around the sea, I'm a little hungry. And just occurs to me that, you know, one of the things you could do is you could feed us again. Because, you know, God did that before, right? Yahweh in the wilderness, he fed Israel bread from heaven. And that's the answer to that opening question, isn't it? How would God feed a couple million hungry, grumbling, complaining Jews in the middle of nowhere? What would he do? You know, what would your plan or my plan have been? God had a plan, didn't he? And he rained bread from heaven on them. No physical provision around them. God rains bread from heaven on them in the form of what's called manna. And it just means this stuff. And it'd be like frosted uh, cornflakes on the ground every morning. Because the text says it's like dew, but it's sweet. And they would collect it, and they'd make bread out of this stuff every day for 40 years in the wilderness. No apparent means of God providing for them. What are they going to do? Well, God rains bread from heaven. One of the psalms says, uh, men ate the, the food of angels. We sing a song with that phrase. Men did eat the bread of angels. God rained the, the food, the bread of heaven down on Israel for 40 years there in the wilderness. And so these guys in John 6, they're saying, that was a pretty nifty trick. We're a little peckish, taking a long walk around the, the lake here to come see you. How about some bread from heaven? How about a little manna, Jesus? Then we'll believe in you. So this is what Jesus says to them, though. He says, I'm telling you the truth. It wasn't Moses who gave you bread from heaven. Moses didn't do that. Moses couldn't do that. It was my father. My father's the one who rained bread from heaven on your ancestors. And it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God, now catch this, is he. The bread is not what? The bread is he. He who comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. Now, they've missed that, that pronoun, he. 
They missed it. So they say, Sir, give us this bread always. An eternal happy meal. Thank you. I'm ready. Burger and fries forever. Thank you. Bring it on. Jesus clarifies, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus says, no, you don't get it. The bread of heaven, it's me. The bread of life, it's me. You need me more than the meal I gave you yesterday. You need me more than manna I might choose to give you now today. You need me. And he continues, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat the manna in the wilderness. And guess what happened to your fathers? They ate the manna, bread from heaven, divine provision for them, no doubt. But what happened to your dads and all your ancestors? What happened to them? Well, they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Feeding the crowds wasn't a problem, but only feeding their stomachs, Jesus says, wasn't enough. Your fathers ate manna, God gave it, but they died. But I am the new bread. I am the real bread from heaven. Jesus is saying here, your primary need, it's not for bread for your stomach. And guys, you know what? For all of us here, we're all going to die. Everyone in this room. Unless God calls and we're there at the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4 could happen today. Unless that happens, everyone here is going to die. All the good meals we eat and enjoy, it won't matter. We're going to die. Jesus says, food for your belly is not your greatest need. Food that gives you life that lasts forever, that's what you really need. In fact, later, Jesus sort of pushes this to what for the Jews was this grotesque end. Jesus says later in John 6, he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you'll have no life in yourself. And they're thinking cannibalism because they still don't get it. And the text says clearly, my words are spirit and true. I'm not talking literally, but Jesus, remember the whole context is eating. Feed me, the crowd say. And Jesus says, I'll feed you. That if you'll take me in through faith, because the whole chapter was an invitation for them to believe. If you'll consume me, if you'll take me into your innermost being, the way we consume food and it comes into our belly, it becomes a part of us. Jesus says, if you'll take me in through faith, you'll consume the bread that gives life that never ends. You'll have the bread that matters. Because you're going to die like your relatives died, like your fathers died in the wilderness. The manna that I could give you today, it would be good for today. But you're still going to die. What will you do then? So Jesus says, ultimately, the bread that we really need is Jesus himself. It's the bread that endures to eternal life. It's the bread that we consume so that we will never die. 
And Jesus says, that's the ultimate bread. Isn't this funny that when we're driven to God in prayer from our needs to pray for our daily bread, it still brings us around to consider and to realize again, you know what's more important than the immediate physical needs in front of us? It's food for my soul. And it's a life, it's something that provides life that never ends. So ultimately, God is absolutely concerned about our physical needs and we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to bring those needs of our own and those around us that we know. We're supposed to bring those to the Lord. But the truth is, those aren't enough. God wants to give us a happy meal forever. He wants to give us a bread that never lets us die. Uh, Taking someone into our heart and our soul that provides life to the ages. Eternal life. Life to the ages. So, in this portion of the model prayer, we've recognized God. Who he is. We've brought others with us. We've put God in his things first. We've let our own needs drive us to God. To say we're not adequate. We need you Lord to provide for our needs. And ultimately our need is for Jesus himself. And the eternal life that he is. And the eternal life that he gives. Father we simply uh, humbly bow before you and recognize and acknowledge that we are inadequate in and of ourselves. And that, Lord, the fact that we need a breath to live or food to live, Lord, is proof that we are mere mortals and that our lives are headed towards death like all who have preceded us. Father, thanks for Jesus' words and for the reminder that our ultimate needs are not physical, they're spiritual. And that, Lord, just as surely as you fed Israel in the wilderness, you've provided a bread from heaven for us today. God, would you give us the humility and the sense of spiritual hunger and spiritual need to believe in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus, to take him in through faith and be saved. And, Lord, for those of us who already know him, would you give us the sense of soul and spiritual hunger that drives us to your word to take in the truth, the bread of life that is your word from the table you have set for us in the pages of our Bible. Lord, would you help us to see Christ afresh in each of those passages we read and to remember that knowing him is life, life to the ages. Lord, we humbly submit to you this morning our needs, both physical and spiritual, and we simply rejoice in the full provision you've made in the life of your Son. Amen.